Hello, this is FTW with Ahmad Khan, part of the Dot Esports Podcast Network. I'm Ahmad Khan of Tom's Guide. Free agency is coming up for League of Legends, where teams are expected to make major bids for top players with expiring contracts. And underscoring the hundreds of thousands in salaries that are likely going to be used as bartering chips is a change in talent management. As the esports industry has grown, so has the influx of established talent agencies willing to represent esports athletes. Joining me today is freelance writer and producer Hawken Miller. He wrote a story for Dot Esports about the changing agency landscape within esports. Hawken, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to discuss this topic, very important topic. Well, you know, explain to me what representation looked like just a few years ago. It was pretty much non-existent. And that meant that players, a lot of them, you know, these guys are super young, they're teenagers, aren't really understanding, you know, how to manage themselves and how to advocate for themselves. And they get caught up in, you know, being a player, being in the esports industry and gaming industry that they take deals that aren't necessarily for the best of them and they get stuck in Mm. contracts, not having, you know, read the whole language and not having understand or understood the legal implications of everything in that contract and what the agent does is kind of plays an advocacy role for that player so that they're not falling into these common pitfalls that these younger guys just starting in the industry are are falling into. Hmm. And just like agents that you see in movies or music, the agent takes like a percentage of the cut. Um, Is that roughly around 10% in most cases? Do you have any idea? I didn't do a lot of digging into the actual percentage that mm-hmm. they do take. So I don't know if I would be best to answer that question. But of course, it's they're not doing it for free, right? They're going to take some um, percent of that. Um, it, it does work very similar to traditional sports uh, mm-hmm. in that way. So I would say that's probably a more accurate uh, comparison. And then are top players choosing to go to established agencies that you mentioned in your article, You know, such as UTA, um, or are they going for endemic ones that uh, started within esports and streaming? That's a pretty good question. I think I, I talked to Barry Lee from Evolve Talent, and mm-hmm. he likes to work with a lot of the um, Korean players because he can, you know, speak Korean, and other players have used him, and he's kind of built a network for himself where, you know, one you know Overwatch player can say, "Yeah, I used." Barry Lee and he was really great and he understands the industry. He understood me very well and kind of building that by word of mouth. Um, you know, something I was looking into that I realized in doing this research is a lot of these companies like CAA and UTA, United Talent Agency and Creative Argent- Artist Agency uh, are signing more content creators as opposed to like esports players. Mm-hmm. And I think that's interesting because they're looking at the perspective of a lot of these content creators might have bigger reaches, you know, someone like Dr. Disrespect or Ninja or I'm a cutie pie. So I think that is an interesting thing to look at. But I will say more players are definitely being represented by those endemic uh, to the community like uh, ESG Law and Evolve Talent and such. <laughs> you know, we had Mikhail Klimentov uh, a few on a few episodes ago to talk about like the Esports Integrity Commission or ESIC. Um, 
And, and when we talked to him, it was more about widespread match fixing within the competitive CSGO scene and how difficult it was for ESIC being a relatively small organization to tackle such a you know large and difficult problem. And in your report, you also mentioned that the ESIC is also creating a certification program for agents uh, to help represent players. I mean, what have you talked to agents about this idea? Well, for, I guess first off, does the ESIC in your reporting have the resources to kind of pull this off? And then secondly, are agents kind of like down with this idea? Yeah, I think one thing for as far as resources are concerned, that is a good question. They announced this in 2019, but I haven't seen that they've done a lot since I talked to them. Mm-hmm. And I think that kind of lines up with what Mikhail is saying, like the resources maybe aren't there. Uh, having a certification and then dealing with match fixing, that that's a lot to take on. So yeah, I think, you know, their priorities have shifted a little bit. Um, I have tried to reach out uh, to some sources there, but haven't heard back. So I will stay tuned to that. Uh, it might change in the future as they get more resources. And I think as far as agents it's a good question that i don't necessarily think i got to with the people that i talked to however i think broadly speaking having a certification i think is good for everyone because one agent having that certification players can know to trust them right so it it gives them that value and then you know for players they know who they can trust um and i think it's just good as a whole to hold these people to standard because someone mentioned in a reply to my tweet about this story that there's a lot of those agents that do take advantage of players in the same way that they've been taken advantage of before without agents. So it's important to be wary of that. And I think one of the best ways to overcome that is to have a certification system so you can kind of filter out the bad actors yeah, you know, I, I remember stories of a few years ago, and you mentioned it in your story as well of teams, you know, taking player winnings or threatening, you know, threatening players like if you don't play, you know, we're going to cut off your health insurance, your parents' health insurance, things like that. Um, I mean, have you heard any specific stories, at least in regards to agents that were not looking out for the best interests of their clients? I have not, but like I said, there's there's bad apples in a lot of uh, these situations. Mm-hmm. Um, I mentioned uh, in the story, you know, a situation in some of the Southeast uh, Asian leagues where, you know, the management was just treating the team terribly. I think what I've seen more is that the lack of agents has caused this stuff that, you know, was prevalent in early, you know, esports teams in the LCS um, to, to, be, to be happening. I do think um, that there's definitely room for people to take advantage of these players like Mm. general managers have, like other teams have. Um, But I didn't specifically uh, have any examples that I at least came across of that. And that isn't to say there isn't, but I just uh, didn't focus so much on that. Yeah, it it would, like the certification, it would, from, I suspect that it would have to be more volunteer uh, on the agent's behalf, right? It's not like they have to go get the certification. Yeah, I think that's part of the problem with a lot of, you know, these global, uh, you know, 
organizations, you know, the UN, for example, they can say that this is bad, but unfortunately, a lot of times they don't have a lot of power to do anything about it. Mm -hmm. And I think it's kind of similar to this, like you can voluntarily do that. And like I said, I think it helps as an agent, your prospects, but yeah, no one's saying that you have to necessarily do it. And I think that's also part of the issue when you look at ESIC broadly about, you know, what they can do across different jurisdictions and different countries and such, and what those uh, rules and regulations are. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, uh, Jacob Wolf, who wrote the story about this, uh, this deal where like, you know, the t- player couldn't go to another team and the antitrust laws behind that does vary between countries. And that makes it difficult, especially for esports to, to try to make things consistent and verify everyone on a level playing field. Yeah, you know, I know that uh, League of Legends, for example, has its players association that it started, you know, uh, for the players and they can all kind of there it has some power and some way to kind of voice concerns on the players behalf. Uh, Do you know if there are any leagues that are demanding that players have an agent or have representation? Yeah, from what I've come across, not so much. for people that don't have agents, you know, they're often, you know, work with a general manager or a family member uh, for that case. And agents are becoming bigger, but we also have to remember a lot of players aren't really represented at all. And that's where some of the, the problems uh, come into place. I think um, having something like the Players Association in a way functions like having an agent, even if you don't, because you have some recourse if something goes wrong to appeal to a governing body like that. I know um, the Overwatch League has kind of come under some fire for not having something like that. So it'll be interesting to see if it'll be more individual agents taking that role or these different player associations. And again, the League of Legends Player Association isn't necessarily a union either. I don't know how much power it actually has other than, you know, bringing these players together and functionally what it can do. But I think it'll end up being a combination of both. Uh, I I did talk about, you know, collective bargaining in the article briefly in that, you know, professional typical sports teams like the MLB, NBA, they all have collective bargaining uh, so that they can push back if, you know, something endangers their health and safety and they also have rights to negotiate you know their use of media and likeness which mm. isn't necessarily a, a thing right now in esports do you have any idea what percentage of current pro players actually have an agent yeah that's a, a good question for uh, esport like league of legends i talked to travis minard from uta who also uh, used to work at riot uh with players and he he was saying for his estimations, around thirty to forty percent of players are represented, hmm. and then for other leagues, it's even lower. Like we like to use League of Legends a lot as an example because I think it's where a lot of games will go in the future as they get more popular. Just League of Legends seems to be a good point of comparison, but in places like the Call of Duty League and the Overwatch League, there even probably isn't as much as you know 30 to 40 percent but also you have to think about even individual fighting games like 
Super Smash Bros. And a lot of these things that don't have as big of audience aren't going to be represented as much just because like there are as many people watching. There's not as much money flowing in where people need to be looking into this stuff and, you know, protecting players. Uh, they can kind of get away with it because they're not seeing as, as much viewership as something like uh, the LCS. So Hawken, I'm curious because let's say in League of Legends, for example, if 40 to, if 40% of the players do have agents, does that in a way kind of prevent abuse? Does it kind of create a herd immunity across the entire, you know, I guess part of that league? And because so many players do have this like representation, there's a base standard that's then created. Is there kind of cre any credence to this theory? Yeah, that's a great question. And I definitely believe there is. In League of Legends, for example, as teams were franchising and taking advantage of buying in, a lot of these teams use the same lawyers and attorneys to draft contract language that has been used for years. And so that in and of itself is in a way protected players because those contracts are coming from those who are now agents and representing hundreds of different esports players. So that in a sense does set a good standard. And as far as having agents, that also helps with the whole network idea where if someone's not represented and a player that is represented that he's friends with, he could be like, you know, what what advice do you have for me? Like this is something that's in the contract. I don't really understand it. You know, what is your agent telling you? And so I definitely think it does set a good standard hmm. to have, even if someone doesn't have an agent, that if there are a bunch of agents in that lead, that it could definitely help them out. Very cool. Well, you know, this was an interesting conversation. Um, Hawken, thank you so much for coming on to the show. Thanks so much, Yuma, for having me. Uh, it's always been a pleasure. And that was FTW with Ahmad Khan, part of the Dot .esports podcast network. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and share. For full transcripts of the show, head on over to ftwamad.com. To follow Hawken and keep up to date on his work at the Washington Post's Launcher Vertical and its YouTube channel, you can find him at Hawken Miller on Twitter. To follow me and my work over at Tom's Guide, you can find me at Ahmad on Twitter. This episode was produced by Henrique Demore and Jacob Wolf. The show's executive producer is Kevin Morris. Our research assistant is Sam Higgins. And with that, we'll catch you guys next week. <laughs>